Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Hi, this is Paul McMullen. Uh, I'm the managing editor at the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Baltimore is Mark Amatucci, uh, an institution at Calvert Hall College High School in Towson. Mark was a 1970 graduate of Calvert Hall. He returned uh, to his alma mater a few years later after he got his undergraduate degree at Juniata to coach the boys' basketball team, which was uh, not very distinguished at the time, but Mark soon made it so. Uh, In 1981-82, his Cardinals were the mythical national champions. They were unbeaten. He coached a few years at Loyola College back when it was Loyola College. He returned to Calvert Hall and gave us some really distinctive players in his second go-around at his alma mater. Mark's the author of a new book. It's called No Limits, One Coach's Remarkable Journey of Athletic, Social, and Cultural Success on and Beyond the Court. Uh, He wrote it with the help of Todd Karpovich, who's a Calvert Hall alum, and Joe Baker, also a a Calvert Hall alum. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here, Paul. Always a pleasure. Uh, We go back... Many, many years, so it's uh, very, very easy to have a conversation with you. Uh, reading the book, I immediately uh, was compelled by the Pepsi Classic up at the Philadelphia Spectrum in, uh, in 82, because that's the first time I saw you guys play. And uh, that game pretty much helped you become the, the national champions in 81-82. Exciting stuff. Mark, when you started at Calvert Hall, the Cardinals were a little bit behind some of the other schools in the Catholic League. And within a matter of just a few seasons, you had Calvert Hall playing at a national level. How um, much did that help you that you were coaching against people like Jerry Savage at Loyola Blakefield and Ray Mullis at Cardinal Gibbons and Cokie Robertson at St. Maria Goretti out in Hagerstown? Um, I think when I first started out, I was just a lucky guy being in the right place at the right time. Um, Brother D. John Smith was the athletic director we weren't doing well at the varsity level. There'd been a couple of losing seasons and um, he wanted to change. I had some success, good first year with the freshman team and well over 500. And then my second year uh, with the JV, we won the Catholic championship. Mm-hmm. Two weeks after the season, brother comes to me and says, Are you interested in the job? I said, yeah. <laughs> and um, come to my office tomorrow, interview for the job. Uh, it went well. Uh, he was uh, stressing not only basketball but academics, which was uh, right up my alley. Two weeks later, he came up to me and said, uh, "Job's yours. You want it?" So that would not happen in today's world. How old were you? I had just turned 24 when I got the varsity job. <laughs> what were you teaching? Psychology. Psychology. Right. Which is a natural for coaches. Uh, I guess I could go either either way. But <laughs> as far as the league with. Uh, uh, Jerry uh, Savage at Loyola, Ray Mullis um, mm-hmm. at Gibbons, Gene Nieberlein was at uh, St. Joe, and um, I mean you're talking about uh, you talk about legends. I mean you're talking about three icons that 
you know, not only were great coaches, but uh, they were great people, which was, I think, even more important. You know, they uh, they believed in, in um, you know, the, the, the real reason to get into coaching, and that is to develop young men and develop their minds. And along the way, if we can win a few basketball games, um, you know, that was going to benefit us all. But basically, they, they were the cream of the crop, and I don't think the, um, there was any better – uh, basketball league at the time than um, uh, the Baltimore Catholic League. Mm-hmm. And I, I need to remind our readers that the Defensive Player of the Year in the Baltimore Catholic League, it's the Mark Amatucci Defensive Player of the Year award for a reason because your players always got after people. Yeah, We mentioned that the first time I saw you play, uh, first time I saw you coach Calvert Hall was up in Philadelphia at the Spectrum. I was working for the old Evening Sun back then. And um, that was a year after your most famous success at the high school level. Um, 82, you did win the Alhambra Catholic Invitational Tournament up in uh, Frost, up at Frostburg State, and only one school has, uh, from the Catholic Leagues won that since. Uh, St. Francis. Yeah, in 96. But your most famous victory was over Dunbar at the Towson Center on the Ides of March, 1981. Well, how about was, that? It was March 15th. Dunbar had previously played in the most famous game in Baltimore history. Yes. In 1973 at the Civic Center, in front of 8,000 people, they beat the Matha and uh, Adrian Dantley and co- the great coach Morgan Wooten. When you beat Dunbar, there's three NBA players on the floor in 1981. You've Correct. Got, you've got uh, Dwayne Farrell, uh, Reggie Williams, and David Wingate are three years away from taking Georgetown to its only NCAA right. championship. How hard of a, a challenge is it to explain to readers in print the electricity and the aura and the intensity of that game? Was that a challenge? It was, it was a challenge, but I don't think it was something that, um, at, at that point, the way the program was going and with the uh, group of kids we had, it wasn't something that they got all worked up about or, you know, the jitters or can we beat these guys? I mean, at that point, we had pretty much set the tone in Baltimore that, you know, we were going to play anybody that wanted to, you know, challenge us and we'd go anywhere to play you. And basically, um, I think we had only lost like uh, three games at that point, two games at that point. I think we were, you know, 28 and three. And at that point in the year, uh, before that game with Dunbar, we were 29 and one, so uh, we had a lot of confidence. And all those guys had played together during the summertime, and um, you know we had our guys primarily coming out of uh, Madison Rec on the east side, Russ and and um, you know Reggie Lewis and all those people. You know they were coming basically from the uh, west side of Baltimore, but they, they were always playing against each other. So it wasn't. It wasn't somebody uh, or a game that somebody was going to lose a lot of sleep over. I mean, we were pumped uh, because we thought we were the better team, but I, it was something that you know, we didn't worry about. We wanted to play them, and they wanted to play us, and let's get after it. How hard was it to write about it? Was it hard to convey that no. intensity? That no. A lot of fun? No. It was a lot of fun, mm-hmm. especially with the, uh, the input that we had from all the players mm-hmm. and their comments. And it was kind of remarkable. If you read the book, it's – they're right on about what I just mentioned, and um, it's uh, it's it's just something that comes naturally to you. You know, once you actually play the game and and you start reading about the articles and all the coverage, and there was uh, over uh, uh, five thousand people. I think it was close to six thousand with standing room at the Towson Center at that time. 
So no, it was not. It was not hard to write about. This book's an. Uh, this book is an advertisement for print media because you kept some substantial scrapbooks, didn't you? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where we would be between my box of scrapbooks and articles and pictures and programs, and then Joe Baker, who was my assistant at that time. Uh, that was a ba- big, major help in putting this all together. My wife and I actually, Pat. Uh, at Christmas time, the two years ago, all right, we're getting everything out of the box and lay, laying everything out, and that was the start of uh, putting No Limits together. And I visited you in your office. It's quite a little museum right there. It is, but that's just because she says, get all that out of the house. I'm tired of looking at it. Put it somewhere else. <laughs> I, I should mention that Mark is still at Calvert Hall as a school counselor. You're a prisoner of Immaculate Heart of Mary, correct? Yes. And your wife, Pat, names of your three kids? Uh, Stephanie, Jacqueline, and Michael. Okay, after the break, we'll talk more with Mark Amatucci about his new book, No Limits, One Coach's Remarkable Journey of Athletic, Social, and Cultural Success on and Beyond the Court. This is Paul McMullen, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Archbishop William E. Lorry released January 21st his second pastoral reflection in 12 months on the effects of racism on society. The Journey to Racial Justice, Repentance, Healing, and Action was released by the Archbishop at St. Bernardine Parish in West Baltimore on the day that commemorates the birthday of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., The Archbishop's Reflection comes on the heels of the U.S. Bishop's second pastoral letter against racism, Open Wide Our Hearts, The Enduring Call to Love, approved in November and acknowledges the local church's history of enslavement of persons and other racial inequities. The Reflection also follows another from Archbishop Laurie, released February 14, 2018, titled The Enduring Power of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s Principles of Nonviolence. In his new pastoral reflection, the Archbishop noted the recurrence of racial and ethnic violence and hatred in ways that have not been seen in decades. His letter acknowledges that churches and members of the clergy, including four Archbishops of Baltimore, held enslaved persons. The pastoral notes that even after the end of slavery, the church continued to fall short of its professed adherence to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Catholic schools, religious education classes, lay associations, and social services, including hospitals and orphanages, were segregated. The letter offers practical suggestions to promoting justice. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. To read the letter in its entirety, visit archbalt.org. Again, that's archbalt.org. The Archdiocese of Baltimore added to the massive pro-life presence at the 46th annual March for Life and Youth Rally and Mass in Washington, D.C., January 18th. The Capital One Arena was standing room only with visitors from as far as Sydney, Australia, among those participating in the 8 a.m. Youth Rally. Chants and cheers could be heard through the halls until Mass began with celebrant Archbishop Christophe Pierre, Papal Nuncio to the United States. Students from Archbishop Curley High School in Baltimore and Mount Sales Academy in Catonsville were among the Capital One Arena crowd. Concelebrants for the liturgy included Baltimore's Archbishop William E. Lorry, Bishop Dennis J. Madden, Bishop Adam Parker, and Bishop Mark Brennan. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. 
Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Hi, we're back on Catholic Baltimore. This is Paul McMullen, Managing Editor of the Catholic Review. We're visiting with Mark Amatucci school counselor and coaching icon at uh, Calvert Hall College High School in Towson. We're talking about Mark's new book, No Limits, One Coach's Remarkable Journey of Athletic, Social, and Cultural Success on and Beyond the Court. Before the break, uh, we were talking about the, the famous 81 game against Dunbar, uh, your seminal victory here in Baltimore. And uh, you had your freshman star was Dwayne Farrell, who had a great ACC career at at Georgia Tech, played for a long time in the National Basketball Association, not your only NBA player. Uh, you've had Gary Neal go from Calvert Hall to the NBA, right. pretty uh, good player. You've had a lot of guys achieve success on the basketball court, but you've also turned out guys who are U.S. attorneys and mm-hmm. educators and coaches like Tom Rose and John Bowersfeld and priests. Father Charles Sikorsky right. runs a, a Catholic <laughs> institution in Northern Virginia. Uh, can you talk about uh, the priority of placing, uh, of keeping the development of young men uh, as as people as important as uh, players, developing pl- people, not just players? Yeah, Paul, I, I think that's the, that's the the whole point of the book. Obviously, it's a lot of basketball. But the primary purpose of writing the book had to do with the uh, the family that I was lucky to to um, develop, not only at Calvert Hall but also Loyola. And I was at Anne Arundel Community College for a couple of years, and then came back to Calvert Hall. So th- this is a this is a journey about a story of a family that 
goes for four decades, and it talks about, uh, like you mentioned, the cultural uh, successes they had, but also the, the cultural mountains that they had to climb over in order to be successful, especially when I, when I started at Calvert Hall and also down at Loyola College when I first got down there. You know, that, that to me was uh, what the, the Lord, you know, blessed me to have some ability to do, and that was building relationships uh, with these guys coming out of all different kinds of neighborhoods, from all different cultures, from all different academic and uh, economic backgrounds. It was something that I always wanted to do. I always wanted to try and be a crusader for the people who didn't have enough or didn't get the right opportunity. And again, I think the Lord kind of pushed me in that direction. And that's what the book's about, and, and that's what I'm all about. And, and um, again, I've been very lucky with uh, some of the guys you mentioned there, uh, but I've been blessed to, to have the kind of um, young men come into my programs and buy into what I was saying, uh, buy into having a relationship and having a lot of success off the court and in the classroom. You mentioned in the book several times LaSallean values. Mm -hmm. For somebody who's never been at a Calvert Hall or a, a Christian Brothers school, what does that mean? Uh, basically, it's, it's real simple. You know, we're, we're here to help people in need. And that's what LaSalle was all, all about. I mean, he would, he would walk the streets you know, of France and, and uh, London and wherever he was. And, you know, he just took guys out of the gutter and, and gave them a, a new life and gave them a new opportunity. And he just exemplified what it meant to be a person of integrity, a person of faith, and a person of honor. That's, that's what I bought into when, when I was a student at Calvert Hall. And most importantly, that's what I bought into when I started being a teacher there after I graduated from Juniata. So it's, it's all about being a witness for, for Christ's teachings. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what I learned from LaSalle. And we're going to go after the people that nobody wants. Mm -hmm. um, and you can be pretty successful by, by following that page. Some of my favorite anecdotes in your book are the bonds between you and Juan Dixon. Uh, Juan's my favorite University of Maryland basketball player of all time. I was the beat writer for the Baltimore Sun when Juan played his first games for the Terps. Yep. Got very fond memories of the man. From my perspective, he's the greatest player in the University of Maryland history. National Player of the Year led him to a national title. You and Juan uh, share an, an incredible bond. Can you explain about your entry into Calvert Hall and Juan's entry in the, in the Calvert Hall? These are anecdotes that you share in the book, and can you share them with our listeners? I think uh, early on in the book you find out that um, Calvert Hall was, was uh, my choice to go to high school. You know, uh, my friend Phil Popovic, who was um, going to be my assistant coach at the varsity level, we played, you know, baseball and basketball there together. But I didn't get into Calvert Hall. I didn't uh, have the uh, standardized test score that was necessary. And if it wasn't for my, uh, my eighth grade teacher, Kitty McNeil, who was God sent. And and uh, realized that, uh, you know, hey, I had a lot of potential and that, you know, Calvert Hall was the right place for me. So she, she just kept going back to Calvert Hall and to uh, Brother John Moore until she wore him down to give me a shot. And uh, I had to go to summer school actually downtown, not too far from here, for the old Baltimore Institute. Mm -hmm. Had to take three classes, had to get B's, and I had to go all the way up to the first uh, week in August. And uh, I made it. 
So that, that's where the similarity starts with Juan because he actually was highly recruited by me um, coming in as a sophomore. And he had actually been accepted um, the year before that, uh, and I didn't realize it. So I thought the whole admissions process was going to be a piece of cake. I go into the vice principal, Lou Heydrich, and said, um, okay, we're, we're okay, right? And Lou goes, no, I can't accept them. And things got a little <laughs> out of hand. Uh, as some people know, I can get a little excitable at times. Uh, voices were raised. Uh, you know, wor- words were uh, said that were probably not the most appropriate thing and professional. But uh, at the end of the day, I promised Lou that, um, and guaranteed him, not just promised him, that uh, I would make sure Juan got all the academic support that he needed mm-hmm. and that uh, he was going to toe the line. And I reminded Mr. Heidrich of all the success stories we had had, mm-hmm. you know, before Juan, uh, you know, made his entrance to Calvert Hall. And Lou, uh, after I wore him down a little bit, which was not easy, he consented. And he'll be the first one to tell you that um, it was uh, the right decision and that Juan's relationship with Lou is still very strong uh, today. Well, and Juan is in education. He's now the coach at Coppin he State is, University. He is, he is an educator, and, and uh, again, he, he is a great teacher of young men. And if you ask him why he's in coaching, he's going to tell you for the same reason. I'm here to develop uh, the minds of my young men and make them better, not only as a player, but also in life. You mentioned Kitty McNeil. What was your parish school? St. Joseph's. Texas, Joseph, which is Texas. now St. Joseph's in Cockeysville. So did you play in the old Sweet 16 tournament? No, they, there, there was nothing going at that point. Um, actually, uh, myself and a couple other eighth graders, along with Kitty, we were able to start uh, a basketball team for the first time, a baseball team for the first time, and a football team. And we would raise money, and I think that's in the book, uh, after Mass on Sundays to pay for uniforms. We got our butts kicked a little bit in football, uh, but we came back and uh, really played uh, toe-to-toe with uh, you know Mount Washington and, and all the rest of the schools in basketball. And in baseball, we cleaned everybody's clock. I mean, we went undefeated, and uh, we were the champions. Obviously, you never played St. Rosalima in baseball. No, we did not. <laughs> <laughs> I met you. I, I, my uh, first game at the Sweet 16 tournament uh, for St. Rosalima in 69 was against St. Joseph, Texas. Is that right? And we have to remind people of uh, the, the historic name of the parish. Yes, and, uh, and it all started with Kitty. And uh, uh, Monsignor, uh, Father Monsignor Scarf was the mm-hmm. pastor out there who was a Calvert Hall alumni, as a matter of fact. So with uh, Al Kitty and Monsignor Scarf, um, I don't think that the, the athletic program uh, would have gotten off the ground for a long time. You are uh, serious about making your teams fitter than the opponent. You're going to wear them down. One of your quotes in your book is, therapy for me is running a half marathon. So you expected your guys to be able to go that kind of distance, huh? I believe, I believe in that. I think, um, to me, in my mind, my philosophy is defense is going to win games. I mean, everybody, everybody's going to score points. But at the end of the day, it's, it's the, uh, the team that wears the other team down uh, by playing you know, consistent uh, defense, whether it be half court or full court. So my philosophy is we weren't going to take any prisoners. We were going to come out and get you for the uh, entire 32 minutes. You had, again, uh, we already said that uh, you had assistance from Ty Karpovich, mm-hmm. class of 1990 Calvert Hall. You had assistance from Joe Baker, class of 1976 at Calvert Hall. How important was it to make this a family effort? The way it, it, way it dropped into my lap, it, was, it just turned out to be uh, remarkable because 
Carp understood where I was coming from. You know, he is the nephew of another legend, mm-hmm. uh, the great Bill Karbovich, the um, the soccer coach at Calvert Hall for years. But um, basically, um, Carp was the right man for the job. And, you know, we would meet early in the morning. We would meet late at night. Joe Baker and I were meeting on weekends and Sundays. And whenever whenever we needed to get it done, everybody just, just put the time in, and we got it done. And it was fun doing it. One more question. Where can the book be purchased? You can go online mm-hmm. uh, with Amazon, mm-hmm. or you can go to our own website, which is Tooch No Limits, and that's T-O-O-C-H, No Limits, all one phrase, and that'll take you to our website. So you can buy it from there. You can buy it on Amazon, or if you want to come by Calvert Hall, you can stroll down to the Cardinal shop and get it there, or you can go to my office, and I'll give it to you and uh, sign it at the same time. Very good. This is Paul McMullen, Managing Editor of the Catholic Review. Uh, We've been with Mark Amatucci talking about his new book, No Limits, One Coach's Remarkable Journey of Athletic, Social, and Cultural Success on and Beyond the Court. You've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. Thanks. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.